Hello, and welcome to Geek Space Nine, the uh, Tuscan Shed. We have an official company name now, uh, the Tuscan Shed. Discovery and rediscovery of the classic Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. Today, we will be talking about Season 1, Episode 6 and Episode 7. Actually, Episode 7 and Episode 8. My apologies, I read that wrong. Um... And with me to talk about that today is, of course, Peter. Hello, everyone. And Sarah. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. And I am Ben. So first up we had was uh, the one and only uh, Deep Space Nine appearance of the imitable, beautiful, majestic Q. Oh, is this the only time he shows up? That the makes me sad. Only time. I, I felt the need to... Uh, Break the news if you guys didn't mm. look into that. Uh, it seems to be the only appearance of Q in the show, uh, so that's that's too bad. But uh, he's always a delight to see. Though I have to admit, uh, this wasn't my favorite episode, but we'll get into that. So the basic premise of this one uh, is that um, we uh, get a return of a classic character, Vash, another TNG regular who we last saw her was uh, had a bit of a fling with Captain Picard, then. Uh, after doing sort of a intense cosplay version of Robin Hood, after Q decided to uh, pit them together, she actually ended up uh, leaving with Q to go to the Gamma Quadrant, because uh, at the time no one could get to the Gamma Quadrant uh, to explore, because she's an archaeologist. Uh, and now she's come back to the wormhole, she's done with Q, she doesn't like it no more. So the episode kind of follows her, she tries to sell off all of her wares to, with Quark, and this mysterious orb that she has, and Q trying to mess up everybody's deal, or basically making the whole thing explode in classic Trek fashion. So, what did you guys think of this episode? I agree with what you said a little earlier, Ben. I mean, I, I like Q. I've always liked Q. He's one of my favorite um, Star Trek characters. And I've also always really liked Vash. But that being said, I... Uh... I mean, there was, there's nothing really wrong with this episode. It was just sort of fell flat for me. I feel like with characters like Q and Vash, the writers could have done a lot more than they actually pulled off. Yeah, I'll agree. It was kind of dull to me with like with like, with how much with how little um, like, how little Q was actually like like legitimately messing with everyone. Like he like it was. He, I don't know. It, it, it. I agree. It just fell flat for me as far as, like, all the humor and, and like, like, and like, really kind of mind fucked that 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 Q could have pulled. Definitely, uh, Q can range from. He's the best when he's sort of whimsical terror and whimsical like uh, mischievous puck like character and like true sinister scary villain. It's always made him interesting. There's been plenty of Star Trek villains that can basically manipulate reality, but most of them are evil. And Q has always been weirdly neutral and more of a prankster, but he could always be sinister. And you're right, there are scenes where it's like, yeah, he makes everyone disappear in the, uh, the weird tonal shift where he'll be like, like uh, Q, leave us alone, and like he makes everybody leave, like everybody in Deep Space Nine disappears. Mm-hmm. Like, that's creepy. But then right after that, he's in a handlebar mustache, Doing fisticuffs, like that might like, have been my favorite part of the episode. It was, it was adorable, and he makes a hilarious face when he gets punched. That I've now made an avatar on one of my internet sites. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but uh, 
I think it's part of it, yeah. It's just like, it's a Q story, it's a Vash story, it's a we're all gonna die story, and it, they never kind of wrangle those threads together, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you, how did you feel about uh, Q's interaction with Cisco? Do you feel like he was an interesting foil for Cisco? Yeah, I do. Um, I will say um, I'm extra disappointed now, I guess, that you told me that there's not going to be any more of Q in Deep Space Nine, because one of the things uh, when he was interacting with Cisco was he was sort of, like, assessing him and was, you know, testing him and see how much it took to provoke him and so forth. And I was kind of hoping that he'd come back later and maybe do something with that. Um, but I guess not, and that just makes me very sad. <laughs> I, I agree. I think Always more Q. Yeah, I think maybe my issue is, like, ah, yeah. I need more Q. I know Q is mostly a TNG guy. I know, I he's, know but he's great. And he's, you know, literally an omnipresent character if he wants to be, so it would have been so easy for them to bring him aboard. I mean, of course, I don't know what John DeLancey was up to, and if, you know, maybe they tried to sign him on, but he was too busy. Um, but, yeah, always more Q. <laughs> and this is our last Bash episode, too, from what I understand. Yeah. I oh, last time seeing her? Yeah, and then the entire show runs. Oh, wow. Album, so. Unless she comes back, and now that would make sense, because Discovery's beforehand. Uh, we'll we'll mention Discovery real quick at the end. Then. Yeah, so uh, I agree. It's, just, it's it's a little bit like, oh, I guess it's part of the deflationary thing. It's a, it's an okay episode. Maybe when, it still mightn't be my least favorite, but uh, the fact that you have two great characters like Bash and Q, and just not that energy you usually want from them this episode Mm. i think i would have liked it more if it was a table setting episode like this is where you know vash comes back from the gamma quadrant and this is where q meets the deep space nine crew for the first time and something happens with them later on but as a send-off episode it was very anticlimactic Right, I, I would have rather had it be a be, be a send off episode for these two characters. I mean, especially Vosh, since 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 this is the last time we see her at all. If if it had happened on TNG, because I, because I'm just more used to seeing Q mess uh, like 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 mess with Picard and TNG and and like and try and try to figure out what buttons of his that he can push. And then, and then, and then there's also like just the the interaction between Vosh and Picard because of because of that romance will they or won't they thing going between them, and and, and because there wasn't really any of that happening in this episode, I just felt like there was something lacking. No, I, I definitely agree. Just to prove a point, I'm about to make. Uh, can you, either of you guess how many TNG episodes Q appears in, or the total run of the show? Mm. Total. Yeah. Ten. Peter, I was gonna say about eight. Eight's correct. Oh, eight wow. is correct. Good job, Peter. Yeah, it is is one hundred percent of the money. Uh, that's what's interesting about Q. He's not overused in a sense. He's very sparingly used for such a fun character, and that's part of the issue with me. For it, you're right. It's like a. You can't maybe anticipate that Q this is going to be only Deep Space Nine episode, and maybe they were planning to do some at Vosh and just never worked out and they could figure it out or something right. like that. But uh, it, it's definitely a case of uh, we're looking at this in hindsight. You know what I mean? If we were are talking about it as it aired, I'm sure a lot of people would be like, eh, Q will come back, right? No, we know right. for sure he doesn't. And that's where I think we have to 
it's hard to not deny that I can just look these things up right away. <laughs> so I yeah. know for a fact that he's not going to come back. And I have that issue lurking in my brain that I'm like, huh. oh well. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, did you enjoy Julian's consistent horniness? <laughs> yeah, bless his heart. He tries. So, he's he's moving on from Max a little bit, or, I mean, at least or fanning out. <laughs> this yeah. is the he had to he had to put the moves on a few other people. He's he's, he's so desperately just wants to bone somebody. He's out on the frontier. He's trying so hard. <laughs> So hard. He's adorable. I, he I, 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 no, he's precious. Yes, he is. <laughs> I listen to his, uh, his slightly egotistical stories. I think he's kind of cute. <laughs> so yes, uh, it's yeah. I don't know if there's much else to say. It's just like again, I think it's just a lot of interesting setup for. It makes me wonder again if Vash is going to be more important because like, you see an interesting point where uh, um, she's talking to Cork. <laughs> and a nice little touch, she starts rubbing his gigantic ears. The guess, for, Oh, yeah. The Ferengi is like, you know, getting a, getting a cat right behind the ears. You know? <laughs> it's just like, she, he melts in her hands and can't mm-hmm. do anything to her. It's like, it's cool that she has this kind of like, like quick trip. knowledge, yeah. Hmm. And uh, I, guess... I just think maybe this is a problem of uh, Deep Space Nine being stuck in one place and she's much more of an adventurous, go all over the place kind of person. Very true. Sorry, were you going to say, uh, sir? Well, just, I guess that um, Ferengis are good allies for, um, I don't know if mercenary is the right word, but I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, going in and stealing artifacts and then selling them. Ferengis are good allies for people like that to have because they're very interested in moving stuff like that for a profit. Right. No, the, so it, the, it, the their sliminess is useful. Think, so. Yes, it makes sense for her to be well versed in their customs, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> I like when it's like this isn't a history lecture. This is the selling floor. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I kind of felt the same way. It's like it's like it's like if you're selling this to people who 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 Cork told you earlier, like just like to collect rare things, they really don't care about the historical. About, about the historical aspect. They simply want to own it because they can. <laughs> you gotta love Q fucking with uh, Quark too. Just be like, a million gold bars. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I enjoyed was uh, another good Odo Quark scene. Where it's just we get a little bit of a joke on the fact that Odo can become anything, which I quite enjoyed. What were you? Were you the table? Were you the painting what were you this time (laughs) yeah i don't think he actually turned into anything in this episode this might be the first episode of the season yeah yeah i didn't add anything from either of these two episodes from my odo becomes list i I hope i hope they've not run through their minimum budget for those transformation (laughs) effects maybe he really only turns into something like or 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 he's more likely to turn into something if if the if his focus is truly on Quark because because there's like a lot that Quark is doing instead of just instead of Quark being kind of secondary to Vosh and helping her sell shit. Definitely, where it's, nah. like, where it's like he suspects like this something like something's going on with you specifically. <laughs> he, I wonder if Odo misses a bunch of stuff just because he's always watching Quark. Yeah, really. I feel like sure if I was, does. I feel like I would just tell Odo Quark's up to something and then go steal something. 
And he'll just yeah. point a cork anyways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, is there much else to talk about in this episode? I feel like we've covered much mm-hmm. I liked it when Q decided he was going to be Bajoran for a little bit. That was funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was cool to see him change. Uh, I mean, I guess he's no one particular race of humanoid, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, change his appearance in that sense. And when he sees Benjamin Sisko's new uniforms, he's like, yeah, what those? Instead <laughs> yeah. of the TNG ones. A few clever little things like that. I also thought it was weird that the alien that just kind of brushed it off. It's just like, oh, there's an alien. Oh, yeah, the, the yeah, flying yeah. stingray. Yeah. Yeah, that is. I don't know if we've ever seen it like that before. I was like, oh, well, it, it, this, it hatched. That's the end. Moving on. <laughs> also get a nice little laugh line when it turns out that when Cork tells Bashir to go to sleep. Yeah. That uh, he's oh, been asleep yeah. the entire time since then. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had to go back and watch that scene again where um, Q put Dr. Bashir to sleep. Because <laughs> they said that line at the end. I was like, wait a minute. I forgot why that happened or why that's funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he, he did pretty much just disappear for like for like the entire episode after, like, what was it, like 10 minutes in or something? Yep. Yeah. I thought that was a clever joke. Cause I, was like, I didn't even really notice that he was gone. I was like, oh. Uh-huh. All right. I think we're... We've covered this episode. Uh, yeah. We're all pretty much kind of meh on it, so. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to an episode that was a little more interesting. Uh, Dex. I figured with the uh, storyline we get a little bit more of Dex's history, but we get in kind of an interesting, unsus- unexpected way, which I thought was clever. So in this episode, um, Dex is walking to around the ship, and she suddenly gets kidnapped. They manage to catch the kidnappers and discover that they aren't... Kidnappers, so much as law enforcement, not technically, but uh, one guy in particular is bringing in Dax for crimes that her former self, uh, Curzon Dax, uh, did, and specifically murdering his father. Uh, so he says he can take him, but uh, they, through a complicated series of leewees, they end up having a trial, more of a hearing rather. Uh, As they say they several determine. times, this is not this a trial. hearing, not a trial. But right. it's, it's basically a trial. <laughs> this is like this. This is informal. It's informal, but it's all elements of a trial. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's right. <laughs> Where uh, they they come up with interesting. There's a bit of a MacGuffin which kind of gets them out of it, but uh, it's also clever. But basically, the moral and more the thematic thing that's interesting is: is Dax the same? Specifically. Uh, I can never pronounce her name. Jazia? Jadzia. Jadzia. Jadzia Dax. Can Jadzia Dax be considered the same as Curzon Dax? So we get a little more, little more, more about Trill, about Trill Law. I'm sure Sean, our lawyer friend, would have very fascinated by this episode. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a, it was kind of an interesting way to tell her story, in not the most traditional manner, and to get into Curzon Dax and the history of him. What did you guys think of this episode? I liked it. I, actually, it, it was it was interesting to see them. I I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed seeing them kind of kind of discuss, um, like, like I thought the whole the whole like the whole question of the concept of does like do, does the does the past life of a Trill's former host 
really come into play for Atril's current host or or, or or future host rather um, to, to I guess speaking like more broadly like I, 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 does it does it carry over um, like with as far as memories and emotions and feelings and and, and, um, and actions I enjoy, I enjoyed that a lot like that whole, their whole argument between the two yeah it was sort of an interesting idea um, it's, a, it's a very interesting Trek idea and an interesting the, what I like about Trek is you can kind of take it to your own life and sort of an interesting idea of uh, how much of a symbiotic relationship where the host dies and the uh, parasite I don't want to use that word necessarily symbiont but, uh, I think yeah, symbiont yeah. might be the better word uh, lives on uh, to the next host body what is the actions of either what just defines who how do we even like come up with that but it's also kind of interesting parallel story about do people change is there such a thing as change be, you know responsible for their actions years and years ago when they were different people in different circumstances I thought that was very clever in that sense and I certainly see this episode that a lot of people go ugh talk about trill law like but mm. <laughs> it was uh it was it was fascinating to me and i think part of it is um the two bits of trivia here bring the other one later but uh few people wrote this are two super like stars in the star trek writing world uh one is peter allen who wrote one of my favorite episodes of all time the inner light the famous oh. card and uh lives an entire life in a few minutes oh episode. yeah so I like that. And uh, the other one is DC Fontana, who wrote on the original Star Trek, namely uh, Charlie X, and been around forever. So I think they really get the mythos of the show. They really get what makes the show work. It may not be the 100% of the best episode, but it was very, very Star Trek and very clever and very interesting. And the thing I love, which is a nice exploration of one idea. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. It was... Um... As you said, it was a very Star Trek episode. They do love their trial episodes where they get to just sort of discuss one particular point to death, which is fine. As you say, it's a creative way of, you know, studying a particular subject. I'm just not that big a fan of that particular setup of episode, which is not this episode's fault. That's just a personal preference. Um, but I did enjoy learning more about the Trill. Like, you know, up to this point, we knew they were a symbiotic or two symbiotic species. I'm not sure of the correct terminology here. Um, but beyond that, we didn't really know. <laughs> and it was it was cool to see, you know, oh, actually, you know, the humanoid part of the pairing, they get to be their own person first. Yeah. Until they get to be about our age, it sounds like, which was, you know, pretty cool. And Yeah, they had a really interesting idea, which... I... I'm curious if they'll explore, because I didn't know this about Trill, that uh, not all the humanoid Trill, I guess you'd call them, mm-hmm. get to become true Trill. That right. they get to be, it's only the best of the best get to be that. Yeah. Like, you have to achieve perfection in your humanoid form before you get joined. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And I really wonder what a world where not everyone gets to achieve their ultimate goal, essentially, mm-hmm. biologically, what that's like. That's very, very fascinating. And also oh. probably speaks to how few true trill there probably are. Almost a metaphor, perhaps, for um, human relationships of discover yourself and know yourself and be awesome before you become a unit with another person. That's a great, oh, great yeah, that's point. That's true. That's a great point, Sarah. 
Thank you. No, you're 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 right. It's uh, I don't have anything to add. No, it's just a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I think it's it's a very clever idea they had for Cisco to know Curzon Dax previously. Yes. And we really get a good, interesting story into his life here. We get a good classic Trek, slightly overwritten but very well enjoyed monologue. I think that's why the trial episodes are so popular. It might be pedantic, uh, mm -hmm. annoying to some. I understand what you're saying, Sarah. Like, there's certain kinds of Trek setups that are common, that get old. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure what mine is, but I, when I come up with one, I'll let you know. But uh, it, it's definitely a case of, well, if we do this, we get to have these nice speeches. We get to explain trill biology. We do all these things. But I, I really enjoyed Cisco. I think it was kind of more big highlight of the episode for me mm -hmm. because... You could just see him being in pain, trying to say, I know you, I used to know you, but do I know you? Right. Who are you now? And it pushed a lot of the themes they've been bringing up throughout the episode and kind of came into a head. Which hopefully means like they're moving past it a little bit more. I would like that, but mm -hmm. I really enjoyed seeing it all come together in this way. What did you, uh, what did you think of the ending? The ending is kind of an interesting turn where we learned that, uh, a, that Curzon Dax was sleeping with the wife, the guy who was murdered. And then B, we find out that um, the guy actually betrayed his people. The rebels didn't care and just killed him, but no one ever found that out, so he was still considered a hero. Mm -hmm. Died for the cause. So what do we think of these two? Called it. Twists. Mm -hmm. I, Called it. <laughs> yeah, I... Okay, well, okay, not, okay, not, not, ne not necessarily the second bit, but Curzon sleeping with with that, with that guy's mother, I oh yeah, I I, 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 I totally called that as, as um especially especially when Odo went when, when Odo went to her to to see to see if there was anything that he, anything that he could learn from her any extra any, any extra info that he that he could get from her for the sake of the tri for the sake of the trial, and and uh, and and saving and saving Dax, um, it 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 was it was just. It was just certain re certain reactions to like certain reactions to to, to different information to different stuff that she that she was told and the, and the questions that she asked like when like when, when, right before, right before Odo uh, like the, that before Odo left when she asked when she asked how was Curzon doing and, and Odo was like he died he died like he died a few years ago and like you see her face like oh dang it I didn't know it and, I'm, and I and, and I I immediately asked I was like. Were you sleeping together? You were sleeping <laughs> together, like like right there. I was like, I was like, he was with you. That's I was like, he was with you. That's why you're not saying anything. That's why Dax isn't saying anything. I just kind of called it right there. It's like, yep, I I, I know the reason. Yep. I uh, I have an unhealthy love for the white lie that's better than the truth. I think it's one of my mm -hmm. interesting things. I did enjoy the ending to reveal that uh, he wasn't a hero. Uh, I guess yeah. it doesn't explain why they... Maybe they were like waiting to tell people that because they knew how much it meant to them or whatever, but it's an interesting idea where the myth of the man becomes far bigger than the man ever was. And uh, the idea of him is way more important than who he was really. Right. Like, I think that was what's really clever about it. Was, uh, one, I think it was just a nice way of being like, eh, if he's that much of a scumbag, it's all right that maybe his wife was cheating on him. Uh, but it also comes to a more interesting point, which is uh, why you can't really tell the sun all these years and why you have to live up to that lie because there's something greater than the person who he was, which I always think is very interesting. 
mm-hmm. and when that kind of conflicts with reality, screws somebody over. I find that interesting. And the way they left, um, a, a, another point about the ending is the way they left the hearing is, yes, it was established that um, Dax was not responsible for the death of this person, but they never really did make a determination about whether Jadzia and Curzon were the same, about whether they could have extradited her in the first place. And uh, I don't know, maybe that will get addressed again somewhere later on of how much of, you know, the old person is is still around when um, when a trail symbiont changes hosts. Right, and uh, I'm curious to learn more. I think we're mostly only going to learn about Curzon and Jazia. I feel like we're not going to learn much about Dex's any previous ones, unless maybe like one or two episodes. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that parallel, you're right, is going to be very, very interesting to explore further on of how much Curzon is left in Jazia, mm-hmm. so to speak. And if there will ever be a moment where Jazia will do something that Curzon would never do. Right. It kind of breaks the uh, Benjamin's kind of love for him or it's also interesting when you talk about this, you know, we're talking about like terms and stuff and you know, keep being reminded of how almost unintentionally interesting it is in terms of talking about transgender yes. rights uh-huh. and awareness. Like like what right what sex they are, what pronouns to talk about, how you refer to like the change in somebody, are they still the same person technically if they're the person they're supposed to be, like it's it's almost kind of interesting that it was kind of made before that conversation was really super present. Obviously, transgender people exist forever, but uh, we haven't really talked about it openly in society so in the last, like, five years, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so it's... Part of me thinks it might be more interesting because it probably didn't know that it was touching on the subject as much as we can look at it now. I'm not sure if you guys feel like it would have been more interesting in today's context or not. Mm. I mean, one of the great things about Star Trek is that they can address issues which, well, a, a lot of them, you know, were relevant at the time, but are still actually quite relevant today without ever saying, you know, the sort of key words that are involved with the issue. Like, they never really talk about racism or being transgender or other LGBTQ issues, but they can still deal with issues by, oh, well, if it's an alien then we're not really talking about this issue, right. but we're talking about this issue. Yeah, like, <clears throat> yeah, by, 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 using, by using that, they were able to still address kind of the issue of the quote-unquote other. Mm-hmm. Right. Other uh, quote-unquote outcasts, you know, the person who's not understood by society. You're right, Trek kind of, like, going to those loftier ideas can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Sort of like how, like the crucible, like since it's sort of a idea of any kind of society not believing in something and taking over by fear mongering, even mm-hmm. though it was uh-huh. written in the fifties, sort of as a response to blacklisting. It's been so popular around the world because I think it has those elements that anyone can kind of latch onto, even though it's a play about the Salem witch trials and people may be completely removed from that in this day and age. Whereas Trek goes in the future more differently, where it's like, well, well, we probably won't ever, sadly, <laughs> meet a race of symbiotic humanoid creatures. But 
Certainly not within the lifetime of anyone who's going to watch this show. No, no. Uh, But by talking about them, we kind of learn more about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. I will always go back to uh, the Next Generation episode, and I can never remember what it's called. Outcast. Yeah, the one with with Riker. Yeah, Yeah, that's one of your favorites. Outcast, the race of the gender. Yeah. Uh, uh, It's it's called Jani. The Janai, yes, the genderless. Yeah, can you, uh, for those who don't remember, can you explain a little bit the basic plot of that episode? Oh, yes. Well, um, the Janai are people who have, quote, evolved uh, beyond the need for a gender. This isn't to say that they don't form romantic attachments to each other or they don't, you know, mate or produce offspring and so forth. Uh, There's just no concept of male and female as humans are aware of it. Um, and yet, uh, one of the Janai who becomes close with Commander Riker admits to him at one point that she's always identified as being female. And, of course, Riker's cool with this because, you know, humans, we're pretty set in our ways in terms of, yes, males are a thing, females are a thing. Right. Whatever your views on that may be, that seems to be the prevailing viewpoint at this point in our existence. Um, but for her culture, this is quite taboo to identify as either male or female. And she says that, you know, there are other people, uh, who identify as one gender or the other, but they all have to live in secret. And there's, you know, psychotectic therapies, she calls it, to mm-hmm. make them revert to being is agender or androgynous. Um, but everyone is really scared to undergo these treatments, so they just have to try to live in secret. Well, of course, um, this poor girl is found out and uh, goes on trial, and uh, she gives this wonderful speech, absolutely wonderful speech. You should look it up on YouTube. Oh, it's great. Uh, the, the episode is called Outcast, once again, about how, you know, it begins, I am female, you know, we are not a different species, Nothing we do is any different than what you do, and this and that. And it is, you know, an obvious dead ringer allegory for just about anyone in the LGBT community, whether that's, you know, strictly lesbian or gay, or transgender, or even a bisexual person who has occasionally has relationships with a person of the same sex. Or even non-binary or gender fluid, for that matter. Exactly. You're exactly right. And uh, it's, you know, that episode came out in, what, the early 90s? Yeah, early 90s. And that speech is just still relevant today, which is awesome and sad at the same time, I guess, that it still needs to be relevant. Um, But, um, well, should, should I say the ending or not? But that's the basic premise of the episode, and it's beautiful and tragic and just great. No, I think it's... um. It's telling that our cast is made. If we, I don't know if we should say or not, but uh, we Sarah's lesbian, Peter's gay, I'm pansexual, and I do think there is something about Star Trek that appeals often. I find to people, and you don't have to be. I mean, people of all sexes and orientations and professions love Star Trek, but I do think it appeals a lot to us, in particular, because of those issues. And I'm very curious about the coming Star Trek show, Star Trek Discovery, which is known as Comic-Con, because it is the first one that I believe is run by a showrunner who's gay. I know he's gay, but I just don't know if he's the first showrunner who's gay. Um, But I believe that Brian Fuller's the first, and Brian Fuller's always written great, interesting gay characters in his work. 
I mean, yeah, to, like, to like, kind of piggyback off of that point, like, like for like for me personally, that like, that's why I have enjoyed the X Men comics so much from childhood to now because because it's about a group of people who like, like mutant mutants who who whoever else as the as kind of the general public like just like fear simply simply because simply because they are different where where like throughout their history they're just they're just trying to show that you know yes we have these abilities but we but we still but we still love we still laugh we are still you so so so, so i mean so so i so i mean like i i, I see that i see that in the same in the same way of of, of, of how you can of how you can get uh various subtexts uh various subtexts from star trek from the star trek series no it's it's definitely the case and it's one thing that's interesting about sci-fi because it is allowed to speak around those issues. It's always been something that's clever. It's why I love Twilight Zone. It's that Twilight Zone got to do a lot of things that shows couldn't do in the 60s because it was fictional. It's not real, you know what right. I mean? Like, there's an amazing episode of Twilight Zone where they basically have um, all these people panic because they think that uh, uh, like communists are invading their town. And they basically all start like going crazy, rioting, and murdering each other. And like it, it was revealed that it's actually aliens just slightly fucking with them. And the the guys like, oh no, we we were gonna kill them all with like ray guns and stuff, but we realized hey, these men kill themselves. And it's like Jesus, that's like crazy interesting for the '60s. But you know, it's aliens. That wouldn't really happen. It's a crazy Twilight Zone, and and that's the thing I think is very interesting about sci-fi. It's gonna do these things. Like, no, that's exactly what we're talking about. But right. It can get past the general homophobia at the time of the 90s homophobia, which is a little bit better, but obviously still not where we are today. And I don't think you can make a transgender character on a regular show, but you can do something like Dax, which is, no, I mean, she's an alien creature. It doesn't exist in our real world, but it's like, mm. obviously you don't want to compare transgender people to aliens. I'm not saying that at all, no way, but it, metaphor, you know what I mean? And that's what yes. I think. Right. Is so clever about Trek is that you know, let's talk about these issues, but let's kind of get them under the surface. Which is why I'm curious again about Discovery. It's like okay, we have a gay showrunner, he's done shows with like gay subtext, like Hannibal, which is one of the best shows ever made. Um, what can we do now? I'm just kind of curious. Please give kind of me a lesbian character. <laughs> Don't kill her. Die. <laughs> kill her. Uh, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I sent uh, I sent Sarah a thing where. Uh, this this is a very funny comedian Cameron Esposito starting a show with her her wife uh, Rhea Butcher. It's all about like, kind of their life. It's a lesbian couple, and she made a joke where she's like, "Don't worry, lesbians. No lesbians die in the show. They'll never die." It's like promise to you. I'm like Here you go, it's really sad that people have to make that kind of promises to to get our audience our viewership anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's like don't worry. We know you've been hurt before. So many times. <laughs> oh. If anyone knows, there's a show called The Hundred, correct? That, uh, yes. Yes. Has hurt Sarah too many times. And it, no, The Hundred only hurt me one time. It no, hurt, hurt me deeper than anything else ever has. <laughs> so, uh, just one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, we have sort of a classic TV all-around character actor here, Gregory Itzen, who played uh, Ilan Tandro, the uh, prosecutor and the guy who went to bring in Dax. You might know him if you're a 24 fan. He played the president for the last four seasons of 24. But we're all a bunch of nerds, so we'd all know him rather from Firefly, 
where he played the magistrate in Janestown episode. Evil. Ah. See? I know my audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, and I believe he will be returning a different character later on in Space mm-hmm. Nine from when I saw it. That's cool. Movie, so. Sort of a and classic that, guy. In that same vein, we have, I'm going to say her name wrong. Sorry? Finula Flanagan? Yeah, that plays Maybe. the judge. Yes, I know her from uh, previous Star Trek episodes, actually. In a Next Generation episode, she played. I mean, Data's an android, but to say that she played his mother is about as, as close as we can get. She was the the wife or the the confidant of Dr. Noonien Soong, who created Data. And yes, she, she sort of introduced herself as Data's mother, actually. And so when she came on this this episode, I was like, I feel like I've seen her in Star Trek before. And so I looked her up, I was like, yes, of course. And she's she's actually in uh, two or three other Star Trek series, in fact, as other yeah, characters. Right now she's in uh, Enterprise as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's uh, one of those classic people who shows up again. There's episode a lot of that, which is kind of interesting. Like the writers of her mother shows. Star Trek's a big happy family. Maybe yes. not always happy, but is we like to think like it's. like the Joss Whedon actors. Yes, very yes. much so. <laughs> Joss Whedon loves. Uh, it's also funny because you watch Joss Whedon shows, you can tell what shows he really likes. Like mm-hmm. Dollhouse, he's like, oh, that Battlestar Galactica is a good show. And suddenly, Battlestar yeah. Galactica actors start showing up. <laughs> a lot of them. And you're like, ah, oh, okay, I know what shows you're into. I really only watched Dollhouse like one time, and yeah. I hadn't seen Battlestar yet. So yeah, if yeah. you watch it now and you've seen Battlestar, you're like, hey. Hey, hey! <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is, is enough of them in a row? You're like, oh, wait a minute. Excellent. That's nice. You just like shows. I think I have season one on DVD. I think I got it as like a Christmas present it's, one it's, year. It's solid. Um, I mean, I don't think I mean, it's ever got I, amazing. I love with Eliza Dushku, and like that's enough reason for me to watch it. Right, right. Um, Faith is just best. <laughs> uh, yes. My uh, do you have a huge crush on Eliza Dushku? Because my of ex course. is there. Bye. She's huge huge crush on Liza Dushku. huge crush yeah yeah i get it i get it <laughs> yeah she's uh she's, she's she's solid i mean it's an interesting show and they got an interesting premise but uh it's not quite there it's interesting for sure, though. It's, worth, it's worth checking out at least once it's only two seasons yeah is it, is it really i thought it was i thought i made it to three no just two damn I missed it. Right. yeah that just Whedon. he's got the can I just say before before we end this episode, I loved the arbiter for for uh, for, for the for the for this informer trial. Yes, um, so sassy. She was taking no shit. It's like, and I and I knew I was gonna love her, but when she when she when she was like, I want to finish by dinner. I want to finish before dinner, not senility. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yes, great line. I love people who are old and just don't care anymore. Just it's so good. <laughs> Get out of here! Come on, this is this should be cut and dry. Let's do this. Speaking of people who who show up in lots of shows, she is Robin Williams' caseworker in the film Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. Yes, she's not quite as funny in that show. She's just sort of yes present and gentle, but slightly annoying as well. Right. But she was she was sassy in this this episode of Star Trek. I quite liked her. Yes, I, I very much enjoyed her, and I'm, I'm curious to see more of Dax in future episodes. Mm-hmm. She's definitely becoming my most fascinating character. Perhaps she's, she's just enigmatic, you know? Yeah. Like an enigmatic uh, character who we don't really know much about. All right, so I think that's all 
do it unless you had anything else to cover on the, this episode. These episodes. No, I didn't. Well, coming up next, we have the passenger and move along home. We'll talk about next week, and we'll talk about those two episodes. In the meantime, be sure to check out our new fancy, fancy website at uh, TuscanShed.com. It's really, really beautiful. I mean, that, uh, I can't not sound sarcastic. It's like a disease I have, but I'm actually 100% serious. I think our, our intrepid uh, producer extraordinaire, Jack, did an amazing job on it, so definitely check us out there. Like and subscribe to the show wherever you can find it. We're trying to get it on as many platforms as possible. I know we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, and... Uh, Especially iTunes gives good rating and review. It does, in fact, help the show. Really, really does. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm Ben. And I'm, as always, joined by Sarah and Peter. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Hi, thanks for listening.